You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. Good morning, sports fans. Mike Indafo here. Joining us today by Blake Levine. And Blake is here. Uh, he's a noted stats geek. Is that fair? Yes. And a Louisville right. apologist? <clears throat> Not an apologist. Oh, I don't know. I think you are somewhat of an apologist for UofL. He's a big UofL fan. He's uh, going to be going today, at, right after the show, to the uh, Louisville-Western Kentucky game, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit. Who are you going to be cheering for in that game? Uh, UofL. Oh, wait a minute. You're going to be cheering for the University of Louisville today? Yes. Even though one of our best friends is on the Western Kentucky coaching staff? Um, yeah. I don't really like him that much. You don't like you don't like Paulio that much? No, no. I... Uh... I'll I'll be rooting for a good game, but yeah. I'm, I wonder if Polio's gonna be cheating for U of L. He might be doing that too. I don't know. So we'll hopefully to, not. <laughs> hopefully not. No, that'd be bad. So uh, yeah, we got a great day of basketball coming up today. We got you know Louisville, Western Kentucky, tipping off at noon. Uh, so hopefully we'll be getting you ready for that basketball game here. Uh, a big game, I think. Kentucky and North Carolina playing at four o'clock today. It's gonna be the first time that we see a common opponent for UK and U of L, and we're only two weeks out from the one of the biggest UK U of L games of all time. It's going to be pretty pretty awesome. So, I just it should uh, be a good one. it should be a good one. I, I, it's going to be real interesting to me to see what North Carolina team uh, shows up. I mean, that you got a North Carolina team that has two. I mean, Belmont's not a terrible loss. No, and it's uh, kind of a freak loss with all those free throw misses. You're yeah. not going to see that again from North Carolina. The UAB loss is a little bit probably not as uh, an attractive loss. But then they come out and they beat Louisville and they beat Michigan State. And they beat Michigan State at Michigan State. Yeah. And they beat them pretty handedly, too, both of the games. Uh, no doubt about North Carolina is very, very talented. Um, so, But it'll be just good to see, A, how it can, a young Kentucky team handles an environment like going to play at UNC because that is going to be a tough place for them to go for sure. And then, uh, you know, it'll be a good measuring stick to see, okay, how does UK look against North Carolina versus how UofL looks against North Carolina? It doesn't tell you a whole lot, but it just it's it's all we have to go off going into that game. Yeah, it's a it's a very nice comparison point. Um, but yeah, we have two two weeks, like I said, coming up to the UK UofL game, and both teams I think have a lot more question marks than their fan base would ever anticipate they would have had at this at this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, UofL, well, they're going to be without Chris Jones for a couple weeks. Hopefully, they'll be back for the UK game. Um, but yeah, they have uh, some inside presence issues. You know whether they can defend in the inside post. Um, Julius Randle's obviously one of the best big men in the country right now, so that that'll be a huge test in two weeks whether they can handle that. Yeah, it's um, going to be really interesting to me because you got Kentucky strength is obviously their front court, and which is Louisville's weakness, and vice versa. Kentucky Louisville strength is their back court, and that's probably Kentucky weaknesses right now. And until the Twins, you know, kind of get going a little bit, so. Yeah. Yeah, the Twins, I haven't watched many U.K. games, but the ones I have watched, the Twins looked a little slow on defense. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see because UofL has two very quick guards um, that like to drive and score. So The adjustments the adjustments the Twins needed to make to play big-time college defense has not happened yet. And, you know, I, I don't think it's uh, – I think they got a chance. But, uh, you know, who knows. But, yeah, that, that Chris Jones injury – uh, for Louisville, you know, spraining his the wrist on his uh, shooting hand. Looks like he could be out for a couple games. Of course, you never know with Patino with what he says with an injury. Yeah, you have no clue. He could be starting today. Yeah, all we know. And this could totally be just something that, that he does gamemanship going up into the Kentucky game. And 
quite honestly, though, if they're going to miss him, like, they they have no problem replacing Chris Jones with Terry Rozier. Yeah, no, T- Terry Rozier has made a point that he could uh, be a starting guard over Chris Jones at some points this season. So, yeah, he's he's a very good uh, backup. Um, the the depth is a little bit of an issue with Kevin Ware being in the doghouse, and you know, then you have Tim Henderson and uh, Anton Gill. So, well, I mean, when's Kevin Ware not in the doghouse? I mean, come on. Um, once his leg was broken. Bro. Yeah, that's that was it. He, you know, but um, uh, and then uh, so that's the basketball today, and actually tonight I'm actually going to head out to uh, Knights Hall and go watch the Bellman Knights play today. The undefeated, second ranked nationally Bellman Knights, and like I always. I'm a big proponent to go out and support the Bellman Knights if you get a chance because it is really, really good basketball, and uh, they've got a, they got a shot to do it again. So if you got a chance, you're in the Highlands, you want to go see the Knights play tonight <laughs> at 7:30. I uh, highly encourage it. Uh, and then, of course, besides the basketball action, last weekend we wrapped up college football, and so this week we had a lot of the conference awards come out. The Heisman's being delivered today. We know who's playing the national championship game. We're gonna have to touch on all of that kind of stuff. There's there's a little story going on down in Texas. If people aren't paying attention, uh, you know nothing's been decided as of yet as far as the uh, future of Mac Brown. Uh, but there was some uh, movement yesterday. I guess uh, Nick Saban signing a very large contract bonus, uh, seven million a year. Um, you're kind of an academic guy too, Blake. Yeah. How do you feel about a coach getting paid seven million dollars a year? Um, well, if the players aren't getting paid, you know the the team's making a lot of money. Someone deserves to get paid for that. But I think it's a little, probably a little exorbitant. Well, I mean, when you consider, what do you think an Alabama home game, if they have seven, eight home games a year, what kind of revenue do you think they pull in a home game? Um, I don't know how many, 70,000 or so. Oh, they're, this? yeah, they're in the, I think they're closer to the 90,000. 90, you know, that's, you know four, so let's say 60 bucks an average ticket price, and that's probably low. Yeah, probably about 60 bucks. So that's, Five million just in ticket sales, and, and then concessions the, and parking and the donations the TV, you had to get. TV revenue generated from it as well. Um, so you're it's, basically it's it's easy for, to say that you're paying a coach less than you make in one home game for the year. Yeah, definitely. I don't think that's out of out of line. Yeah, but you have a lot of expenses that you're not taking into account there, and you know, in the away games and travel and recruiting costs, and there's there's a lot of expenses. But yeah, you know, there's no no hiding that the football team in Alabama is uh, making a lot of money for the school. Right. Um, and, and Alabama Saban's a big part of that. Although you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that could do that job and make close to that much. Well, I always go back to like when Billy Gillespie was the coach at Kentucky. Yeah. And of course, you get paid a lot of money to be the coach at Kentucky. And they paid him a lot of money to go away and not be the coach of Kentucky. Yeah. <laughs> and I will tell people that I think when you look at the investment as far as Billy Gillespie not wanting to interact with boosters, not, wanna, not wanting to be the face of the program, just wanting to kind of coach and go home and that kind of stuff, as opposed to Cal, who can walk into a room and people just get out their checkbooks. Yeah, he's, a, he's a car salesman. I mean, <laughs> wow. All right. You all got your own car salesman too. Oh yeah, we do. I'm not. Uh, I wasn't talking about Patino though. <laughs> but the same thing with Patino too. Patino yeah. walks into a room. They they can sell themselves in the university very well. And, when, and they don't even have to do much, but just the way they interact and the way they, uh, you know, I know Patino's very close with a lot of the big boosters in town. And <laughs> if those guys need to get money, as we've seen with Cal, with you know locker room renovations and all kinds of other things, um, you know, a new 
dorm for the players, the the craft center, Cal can get it done because he knows how to go out there and schmooze a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think that's a good – I mean, so when you consider would you want to pay Billy Gillespie $5 million to go away because Cal can make you more than $5 million? I, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. It's just business. I mean – Yeah, that and, you know, Gillespie wasn't performing on the – on the court. So. Exactly. That hurts a little bit too. That hurts a lot, especially at, you know, UK wants to win and win every year. So, which most schools do, but there's a little more pressure at UK, I think. So, the uh you know, I think the big argument is that, you know, how can a place of higher learning spend that much money on a basketball coach? But the school doesn't really pay a lot of that salary. The athletic department focuses a lot of that money. But in the big athletic departments <laughs> that pay their coaches big money, they're self-sustaining. And it's not like it's coming out of the chemistry teacher's budget. It's actually probably supplying the chemistry teacher with all the labs and stuff like that they want to do. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of different research on that. There's, I've seen things that say only like five or ten athletic departments are self-sufficient in the entire nation. I've seen stuff that says there's more than 30. So I, you know, it's hard to really say. I haven't really delved into it too much. But I can see that point for a select few, but a large majority of the athletic departments are using some you know, university funds to stay afloat. And well, for the, for the purpose of ours, though, there's no doubt about it that the two programs in our state would be one of the ones that are self-sufficient. Yeah, they, I would think so. You know, UofL has the most profitable basketball team in the country with the Yum Center contract. The world's largest sports bar. The world, world's largest sports bar. Um. And, you know, UK is definitely making plenty of money on their basketball team and football team being the SEC. So, yeah. They're they're self-sufficient, I would think. Um, But, yeah, I don't know how much they're actually giving back to the university in terms of actual funds. You know, they're increasing the the profile of the schools, which is always good. Um, There's always a bump. Like, once you win the national championship, there's always a bump in uh, enrollment um, applications. So you can start, you know, being a little more selective, which is nice. Well, I don't think a lot of people either realize that athletics is a great source of advertising for your school. Yeah, it is definitely a marketing campaign. So, I mean, that's to me what's up. You're, you're, it's a, it's a marketing source. Uh, it's a way to drive in money. And you know, I know in Kentucky's case, and I, and I think in Louisville's case too, their athletic programs does give a lot of money back to the universities for them to enhance their programs. So, not only are they self sufficient, but they're giving money back to the university for them to do things. And a lot of people also don't realize. That when a kid gets an athletic scholarship, it's not like no one's paying for that. The athletic department actually pays the university what it yeah. costs for the kid to go to school there. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's just kind of little misnomer things I think that kind of annoy me sometimes. But I think Saban is worth $7 million. And if Texas pays him $10 million, He's probably worth it. I think he's probably worth it. Yeah, it is. they're the highest grossing athletic department in the nation. You know, if the football team is doing well, I'm sure that – drastically increases compared to you know the last few years they've been sputtering a little bit it increases donations it increases enrollment i mean it increases so much it increases the value of the longhorn network yeah. i mean it just it, it's a lot bigger than just winning games on saturday oh yeah definitely there's a lot of money involved especially when you consider that the state of texas has got since texas has kind of taken a step back a little bit and it's not like they've been bad for a long time I mean, obviously it wasn't too long ago before vince young was yeah, leading them to a national championship yeah so not far, not long at all. But since then, we've seen the rise of Texas A&M. We've seen the rise of Baylor. Yeah. 
We've seen the rise somewhat of Texas Tech. Yeah, Texas Tech has been up and down a little bit, but they've definitely increased their profile. But all you know, Texas is competing with all three of those kids, not just for athletes, but for just regular students. You know, yeah. and, and I think that it leads to it. If they <clears> go out there and they pay you Nick Saban $10 million a year, um, then I, I think it's worth it. And it's going to be interesting to me if they don't get Nick Saban, who they do get. So on that point, yeah. do you think Nick Saban would be smart to leave a school like Alabama? I um, No, I think he's got a good thing going. Uh, his style of football works in the SEC. Um, you don't know if it'll work in the Big 12. You know, it's his style is all about defense. The Big 12 is usually about offense. There's been a little bit of a shift this year, maybe, but I, I don't know if it works. He, you know, all his recruiting ties, I'm sure, are in the South. Um, but you know, for another three million, it could be worth a shot. And the other, the other big thing is there's probably a lot of pressure on him at Alabama to win national championships every year, um, and that can probably drain you a little bit. Well, I actually saw reports that people said that his wife is upset about how they get treated because they don't feel like like he's appreciated. Like they don't his wife yeah, Saban's like, wife does not feel like he's appreciated. Yeah, I haven't seen many things that she said, but you know, the few Alabama Alabama games I've watched, I've seen tweets from her, different things like that, and she seems very vocal. Um and yeah, Alabama fans probably aren't as appreciative as they should be because, you know, they're pretty much the national title contender every single year the last four or five years. And, you know, that's pretty rare to do in college football. I, I could yeah. see – here's, I guess, my point on the whole thing. If I'm saving and I have to choose where would I rather spend my last working years before I retire, I think I'd rather be in Austin than I would in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, I've, I don't Austin's think, a really great city. I've never been to Tuscaloosa. don't know anything about it, but I find it hard to believe that it's better than Austin. Um, I can say that I don't think that the money's – Ten million, seven million. I don't think that's really a huge factor for him, but I'm sure ego wise, it probably strokes it a little bit. Yeah. The recruiting base that Texas offers would be very attractive. I think the fact that he, if he could take a third school to a national championship, it pretty much solidifies him and Bear Bryant as the two greatest coaches of all time. And you probably yeah. at some point would have to say Saban, you know, might even overtake the Bear as the greatest coach of all time. Yeah, that that could be part of his legacy, trying to trying to be you know the greatest coach of all time. Um, I'm sure he's still kind of living in the shadow of Bear Bryant at Auburn, and maybe he doesn't like that too much. Um, that could definitely weigh in. Yeah, so it, that would be real interesting to me. I mean, I you know I, I think a lot of times these guys have you know got nothing else to do with these schools that they want to take on that next challenge. It's kind of like Patino going to the Celtics. Yeah. You know, I just want to take on that next challenge and see if I can resurrect this program. And, and it's not like you, again, with Texas, it's not like we're talking about a resurrection job. We're still talking about a top 25 team that had a pretty decent season that was really close to going to the BCS if Baylor loses that yeah. last game. Yeah. Uh, that's, they're definitely not you know, a terrible team rebuilding or anything, but they're you know below what they want their standards to be. I don't know how they probably won nine games this year, ten games. So we're, uh, we're up against our first break. We want to we have you guys join the conversation. Call in Oxmoor Ford Lincoln Buzz Line, 384-1450, and we will be right back on the Weekend Sports Bus. Neat bone, my neat bones connected. 
You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmore Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, guys, we are back here at the Weekend Sports Buzz on a drainy, dreary, rainy, dreary day out there. Uh, we're in this nice, warm studio talking some sports. We want you to join in Oxmoor Ford, Lincoln Buzz Line, 384-1450. Oxmoor Ford service with a free shuttle service in a clean, comfortable customer lounge with free Wi-Fi, big screens, business center, and friendly people. I also want to tell you real quick about uh, a special thing we got going on. If you have not gotten all your holiday shopping done and you need some last-minute things, visit livingforless.org for up to 75% off all gift certificates to great restaurants like Rooster's, Penn Station, Shane's Rib Shack, Boom Boss Pizza, Bistro 42, Joe's OK By You, and many more. Livingforless.org even has great deals for the Comedy Caravan and Aztec Limousine Service. Need a limousine? No, I do not. You don't want a limousine? You could uh, be rolling in style. I like my Volvo. But we can get like 75% off a limousine. You don't want to drive a limousine? I could see you wouldn't put on the little hat. It'd be nice. Yeah, I, I could use some secondary income. Yeah, a little secondary income. Yeah, there we go. And you know, let's talk about uh, wrapping up the college football season last last week. Uh, obviously, uh, our local teams. I, I actually feel like all three local schools, if you include Indiana, which we do on the show, Blake. I know you don't think Indiana exists. Um, no, they're fine. Yeah. My brother went there. So yeah, that's right. After so, all three schools, in my mind, probably had disappointing years. And is it hard to say that a loyal team? with one loss, had a disappointing season. The expectations were pretty high this year, and you know, with the type of schedule that they had, they only had a few tests. It's, it is, I think, fair to say that they had a disappointing season. And was it unwarranted for them to have that kind of expectation? I mean, the, the schedule was terrible. Yeah, the schedule is terrible. Um, they, they were pretty lackluster. It wasn't just the, the 11-1. and one. I think it was the way that they looked. Um, they didn't look as explosive as as explosive as we thought that they would. And I think, fan base. so let's talk about that for a second, because as we come into award season, yeah. we're, the awards are flowing in, and Louisville actually had two uh, All-Americans, which yeah. is fantastic. Both on defense. Both on defense. Even though the, all the hype at the beginning of the season was on their high-powered offense. And then you get a guy who we thought was a major Heisman candidate in Teddy Bridgewater. No invitation to New York today. Doesn't even get on the first team All AAC. Yeah, I mean it's really kind of disappointing that I mean, and I put that on how boring Louisville's offense was this year. I think it's that, and it's also schedule. Um, if they, you know, had played some tougher opponents, I think Teddy would have gone to to New York for the Heisman. But all right, you can't say that. But the the cast of characters in the Heisman Trophy thing are first off, it's really down to two people, right? If, even if you can say two people. The cast of characters in the Heisman Trophy race are pretty ridiculous. I mean, Jameis Winston's going to win this thing yeah, they're, pretty much hands down, right? Yeah, they're kind of wondering if he's going to beat O.J. Simpson's you know, mark for you know, margin of victory in the Heisman. And then, and then we got Trey Mason, who I actually res- respect a lot after the season he's had. You got A.J. McCarron, who's there. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, you Obviously, Johnny Manziel, who... Tried to not, you mean? I mean, he tried to have just like just be a total jerk and never get invited to get to anything like that again. He didn't even really want to play this year. And then you got a guy like Andre Williams and Jordan Lynch. Now Andre Williams had a great season, but no one's even really followed him. No one's even known what he's done. He's the, the leading rusher out of Boston College. 
Yeah, it's came out of nowhere. This is a list. I like A.J. McCarron as a player, but I think he's doing it more because of his intangible, because of his leadership and his record. Do you think A.J. McCarron's a better quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater? Yeah. You do think A.J. McCarron's a better quarterback? No, no, no. no, Sorry, I was going the other way. No, definitely not. He's he's a good game manager, as they say. He makes plays when they need him, which is very important. Um, But I don't think he can carry a team like Teddy can. And We've seen Teddy do that several times in his career in the last two years, you know putting someone on his, the team on his back and making plays when they seem kind of almost impossible to be made. And then they got this like little ESPN experts poll for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. And I'm looking at this thing now, and this is updated December 9th, so this is actually what they feel is going to happen. Every single person, first place vote, went to Jameis Winston despite any kind of off-the-field issues he might have. So he was the clear runaway winner. Um, Teddy Bridgewater on this list, and these are the experts for ESPN, was – 11th. 11th. I mean. What are some of the names that are ahead of him? Bryce Petty out of Baylor. Johnny Manziel, obviously. Jordan Lynch. They still had Marcus Mariota from Oregon ahead of him. Wow. And I and I, I don't know. Derek Carr, David Carr's brother at Fresno State, who had a, just a great year. Kadeem Carey at Arizona. Yeah, I, I have an issue with just the Heisman in general. I think it's more just a popularity contest than anything. Um I think it's you know whoever's the best player on the best team wins it, which usually usually is the quarterback or the running back on the best team wins the Heisman, which to me doesn't say anything about being the best player in college football, which is what it's supposed to be doing. Johnny Manziel last year, that was not the best player on the best team. That is true, but he was popular. He was, was talking. He was popular. Everybody was talking about him. Everybody enjoyed watching him play. I, yeah. I mean, I think it is a popularity contest. I think there's some of the intangibles go into it, not just stats. But in a year coming off where we had the first freshman winner ever last year in Johnny Manziel, and then for him to have the offseason that he had of turmoil, and then we take another freshman quarterback who has off-the-field issues, Teddy Bridgewater is what the Heisman Trophy people want. That's who they want to have win the award, a very good offensive player who has got no checkered uh, history whatsoever, a guy with some natural leadership ability with all the intangibles, but let's face it, their offense was just atrocious to watch. And so these voters turn them off. I mean, so with a few times they were on TV, Teddy doesn't really go out and like put up like video game numbers. He puts in a real solid, steady game, and you always know what you're going to get. But no one's watching it. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, if no one's watching it, you can't win the Heisman. Um, and that was the case for most of UofL's games. You know, he did play really well in the Cincinnati game in the – second half he had a terrible first half and that's when they picked up the pace though right and they, that's when they picked up the pace um and they they stopped just you know running it up the middle a lot you know charlie strong is from the sec where i think that's kind of like you know, an accepted practice of you know try to establish the running game run it up the middle and that's how you win with that in defense because that's how you control the clock yeah you control but the this... clock you, you control your will on the other team it's, it's almost like a manly oh we're gonna run it down your throats kind of thing but even then i mean how much how they're slow pace as far as how much of the play clock they take up every possession. You know, they're never in a rush to get to the line of scrimmage. Yeah. I guarantee you, if we looked at how many plays they got off per game, it was just a staggering low number for the number of drives they had. And I just, uh, it, it seemed to me like, be, I, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to hide that I'm a fact of a Kentucky fan. I would have loved to have actually seen Teddy Bridgewater compete for this award because I think it's good for football in this area. Yeah, no, it would have been great for. 
I think both programs really, like you said, on the show that Kentucky is a, more of a football state than you know just a basketball state. And he's um, and he's you know a good kid. You can't not. I mean, there's not a Kentucky fan out there who does not like Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, I think it would be pretty hard to dislike Teddy Bridgewater. He's a great person. Um, he's humble. You know, he says the right things. Plays hard. It's hard not to like him. But to your point about the best player on the best team, I think that's why he did miss out on the first team, all AAC, even yeah. though two of UofL's offensive linemen were were represented on the first team, all AAC. And then they had another one on the second team, all AAC. And all year long, what we've been talking about has been the weakness of this team. Yeah, it's pretty shocking to, to see those. Um, is, yeah, the offensive line has been the weakness of the offense for sure this season. The, the wide receivers they have are great with – Parker and Copeland, um, they have a good good tight ends. They have good running backs. You know, great quarterback, and really the excuse all year has been the offensive line and you know trying to protect Teddy and not have him pass too much. Um, that's kind of been what I've heard from the coaches, coaching staff, as why they haven't opened up the offense more. And you saw when they do generally open up the offense a little bit and you know pass the ball more and get in passing situations, Teddy gets hit a lot. Um, that's really surprising to see the offensive line get the accolades it got. It, it was, it was. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was shocked. I was probably. What was more shocking, Teddy <laughs> being on the second team all AC or having all those offensive line men being the offensive line for sure. I know, agree. There, there's definitely an argument for Blake Bortles. You know, getting the first team nod. You know, he's on the best team. They beat Louisville. Um, he's had a great year. Um, he didn't quite put up the numbers that Teddy did, even though Teddy was in the, such a bland offense. But, you know. The, the awards generally go for quarterback to who's winning, not just who's the better player. Um, obviously, Teddy's the better NFL prospect, um, with, you know, being projected to be in the top five of this year's draft. I, yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, Teddy's going to be a, a pretty good high draft pick. You know, you know, you miss out on the BCS, which is obviously disappointing for loyal fans, and it should be. But you're going to Louisville accepts a bid to go to the Russell Athletic Bowl. They're going to play the University of Miami in a season where there's just not that many really good bowl games. That is one of the more intriguing matchups. It's got to be. I can't imagine a bowl game out there with more storylines than what there is in this this Miami-Louisville matchup. Um, yeah, with a lot of uh, UofL's players are from Miami. You know, and we're Miami Bridgar commitments. Was, yeah, Teddy Bridgewater was a Miami commit until uh, Randy Shannon got fire, fired and then he uh, switched to Louisville. Um, and you know Miami even in this early recruitment we're talking about switching them to like wide receivers, you know something like that, and not let them play quarterback. <laughs> I think that um, would have been a pretty big mistake looking back yeah. on it. It's been interesting to see what would have happened in that scenario. Yeah, it's something like I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but twenty three players on Louisville's roster are from the state of Florida. Yeah, it's about the same amount as I think it's more than the. The number of players from Kentucky. It's the same amount. Somewhere. So you're going down to play a bowl game in Florida against a school like Miami, where a lot of those players are from Miami. And like you said, there was that recruiting, uh, f- you know, battle. I guess on a lot of those kids. A lot of those kids committed to Miami at one time. Switched to Louisville on the, when the coaches changed. Clint Hurt obviously yeah. is the source of why Miami. One of the sources of why Miami had some troubles. Yeah, I didn't follow the Miami scandal too much. It was, but yeah, he was definitely a a part of it, a major contributor. Part of it. Yeah, with the with Evan Shapiro and and all that kind of stuff. But then you also get the fact that Louisville's going to the AAC, ACC. 
Yeah. Next year, so that's going to be kind of like an ACC preview. Yeah. I've Unfortunately, even t- they're going to be in separate conferences or divisions in the ACC. At least what they're talking about now, they might be switching with Georgia Tech to move into the same division. Uh, division as Miami. Try to balance out the the power. The power. So Duke doesn't win another ACC yeah, so division crown. We don't have Duke and Wake Forest and the BCS Bulls. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's always probably a pretty good idea. And then you get the uh, idea. The one thing that you know is not being discussed a lot nationally, which should be, the go- the the grandfather of both these programs is one Howard Schnellberger. Yeah, that's Kentucky alum Howard yeah, Schnellberger. Yeah, he definitely resurrected both. We got a uh, we got a caller on the line. We got about four minutes left in this segment, but that's more than enough for my man, the biggest IU fan who I know is disappointed by IU's football season. The truth. What's going on, truth? Oh, you take a shot early, H. <laughs> well, I mean, I, we're all we're all disappointed. All three fan bases should be disappointed about their fan, football seasons. I'll tell you, we we should be playing football game. What about Notre Dame today? We're gonna beat Notre Dame today. That's the one basketball game we didn't really talk about. Indiana and Notre Dame playing up in Indianapolis today. You know, they'll they'll play Notre Indiana will play Notre Dame in Indianapolis. They just won't play Kentucky in Indianapolis. I don't understand that neither. They need to be playing each other. Notre Dame's had some struggles, man. They've, uh, they've didn't they just drop one to North Dakota State, maybe? And uh, they yeah, they did. So they've they've uh, they've been struggling a little bit. They actually uh, took a kid who's supposed to be a sophomore there, and they're going to redshirt him to give him another year. Uh, in the in the uh, kid from St. Louis, they played in the Derby Classic, and I think Indiana's going to take him. You know, truth, I'm I'm with you on the, how good Indiana can be this year if uh, when it all kind of clicks for them. They got a great upside. Uh, did you know that Trey Lowes and Jay Quan them played against one another at the uh, Mar- at the Marshall County Hoop Fest? Yes. And uh, I heard Trey Lowes, and they heard they play- they both played well. They uh, they say that Trey Lowes put it on them. Yeah, I know he had a, a monster game and had a monster dunk that kind of flew all over the internet. But uh, you know that's good for Kentucky, I guess. <laughs> so it is. So what's going to happen with Jaquan Law? You think he's going to be an IU Hoosier? If he get his grades up, yeah. And they got another guy on the team supposed to commit with him too. I don't know that. They, I don't know who that is. On Huntington, another guy, huh? On Huntington Prep, where he goes to high school. Yeah, he's him and Jaquan on the same team, and then he's supposed to be coming to Indiana. Another guy on their team. Hmm. I have to check that out, Truth, because I'm trying to think who that is, because I thought most of their guys were committed except for Jaquan. Now, they do have the kid who's a junior, um, uh, Gil Caesar, who's going to reclassify possibly and become a senior. But from what I hear, that's a pretty good potential that he's going to go to Kentucky. Uh, I know Josh Perkins is already committed. Uh, Angel Degada is already committed. Jalen Lindsey I thought was already committed as well. So... It would be interesting to me to see if they got another guy off that team because they don't have, uh, I'm pretty sure, the big guys, unless it's the junior who's going to reclassify. That's the only one that I could really see uh, being a possibility for him. Okay, I'll let y'all go. Okay. Thanks, Truth. Have a good Saturday. All right, brother. All right, and with that, we're going to go ahead and go to our second break of the uh, the afternoon or the morning, and uh, we will be right back on the Weekend Sports Buzz. The nitty gritty forty dose of all aboard, cast away. Hey, where's my bungalow? Ooh, I'm steaming. Add gold me. Why is everybody always picking on me? They call me what's in the same. Hold up. 
Let's make this official. Everybody let's agree that MCs need a You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we're back. The Weekend Sports Buzz playing all, playing all of my old school rap favorite songs. Little Dawes effects from Craig Mack. You like that kind of stuff? Uh, no. No? Uh, I'm not uh, into the rap. Too Man, this is like great old school hip hop stuff. I'm telling you what, I have to come up with some uh, some other things that we uh, that we want to play on the next break. So, anyway, make sure that you uh, tune in to Ion 21 at 11 p.m. on Sunday night for the Sunday Sports Buzz. Join host Greg Brom for your first chance to recap all the weekend sports actions. And also, like we said last break. Uh, if you need help with last-minute holiday shopping, make, visit Living for Less, up to 75% off gift certificates for great restaurants, and even if you want to get a limousine ride. So that would be what Blake's all about, trying to get that limousine ride. All about the limousines. All right, so I got to admit, last last weekend I was enjoying sitting on the couch and watching some of the uh, championship day of, of college football. Um, no surprise by me that Auburn – that Auburn-Missouri game was very entertaining. I don't know if you got to check it out or watch it at all. I, I didn't watch it, but I saw the score, and I saw some score updates, and it, was, it seemed like it was very entertaining. It was close to the end, and then Auburn kind of pulled away, and uh, Missouri has nothing to be upset about. It's really awesome to see uh, two teams that were basically in the same position Kentucky was this year and how they turned around their season and was able to, to get to the SEC title game in different situations. Actually, though, Missouri – if Missouri can do it, there's no reason Kentucky can't do it. I, and I honestly believe that. Do you, do you agree with that? I mean, what does Missouri have over Kentucky? I I don't know. I don't know anything about the Missouri football team, really. Um, I, I wouldn't think that they would have that much, I guess. The I mean, it's the same they, kind of climate. They're actually probably not even as much in the southeast as Kentucky is. Yeah, but the f- fact that they're playing in the SEC and they just jumped into it could give them a big boost with the recruits in their area. Um I don't know where their recruiting hotbeds are, but if they're not in the Southeast, it could be a you know they could be the only ones really in the SEC conference, you know, recruiting those types of players. And the you know it's the Big Twelve or the SEC, and it's easy to sell the SEC right now, so they could have a big boost. That's actually a really good point because like in in Kentucky's case, yeah, they're going up in a Big Ten country and saying you don't want to play in the Big Ten, which is proving itself to be just a crappy football conference. Yeah, you'd want to go play in the SEC. And you know, and Kentucky's pulling kids over Ohio State, which I love because <laughs> there's no school that I dislike more than the Ohio State University. Yeah, I agree. And Missouri's probably similar, where they jump in the SEC, then they go and they go to all those Big Twelve uh, traditional hotbeds and say, "Hey, you can play in the Big Twelve, or you can come play in the SEC." And uh, they probably have grabbed kids that way. But you know, Missouri had a very young squad. That matured, and that's kind of, I guess, what I'm hoping happens with Kentucky. I mean, Kentucky still is so dominated by sophomores and freshmen. Yeah, all, the, all the real talent is, you know, freshmen and sophomores. Right. So they could definitely get it a lot better next year. And then they're going to have a great class coming in, and I don't think next year is going to be the year that Kentucky really turns yeah. the corner. But 2015. But maybe I mean, they could win a, a game or two in the SEC, which would be a big boost. I just – four wins. That's all yeah. I want next year. Four wins with one SEC win – would be great, and I think that sets you up to have a pretty decent 2015 season. And uh, it, to me, it could be just a, a great year if they if all the recruiting stays the way it's supposed to stay. I actually like what Stoops is doing. I know there's some people that are getting that guy kind of frustrated that we had the same record, but 
in football, it takes several years generally for a coach to really take effect because you know it takes a while to develop the talent. Not many freshmen can come in and just completely change games. Exactly. And those freshmen that can do that are probably not going to be going to UK or even U of L really. And then UK is still to, playing freshmen. Yeah. <laughs> so just because of the talent base, I mean, I, I, I'm the way that the program was left to Stoops is just really, um, it's it's unthinkable how bad the program was. But anyway. Uh, so then after, of course, the uh, the SEC championship finishes up, uh, we had the Ohio State University taking on Michigan State. And before the game, I posted on Facebook, and it got quite a rise out of a lot of people. I said the only difference, and this is, again, you got to remember, coming from a Kentucky fan, the only difference between Ohio State's football team and Louisville's football team is that Ohio State did not play anybody as good as UCF. Yeah, I don't think they did. and. I went to Northwestern. I'm a pretty big Northwestern fan, and that was one of Ohio State's toughest games. And Northwestern didn't win a game in the – or they win one game in the Big Ten or something. You know? Yes. I mean, they so, had a very disappointing year too. Well, and most of those were for injuries and stuff. But, you know, Northwestern hung with Ohio State, and Northwestern didn't even have their starting quarterback for half the game. And for some reason, our country still looks at the Big Ten as this big-time football conference. And they have not been relevant in football since Maurice Claret – and Ohio State won the national title over Miami. Yeah, in 2003. Yeah. And besides that, they're nowhere to be found. The one year that we talked about having Ohio State and Michigan play again for the national title game, Ohio State ends up playing Florida, and Florida just absolutely embarrasses them. Even though Florida was considered to be a huge underdog, they they don't compete at football anymore. They're a great basketball league, but they're not yeah. a good football conference. Yeah, it is funny. They've kind of turned into a basketball league over a football league. In the last five to ten years, they got three of the top five right now in basketball. Yeah, I mean they're an incredible basketball league, and maybe this year could be the best basketball conference out there it's between them and the ACC. But they're in I'm nothing taken away from that basketball league whatsoever. Although I don't think Ohio State's really a top five team, but listen, I am extremely biased when it comes to Ohio State and yeah. thinking that they're overrated. Um, I guess. And football legacy and you know program history plays a lot in perception. And sure. People, and so I, I'm sure it's just people still being like, "Oh, it's Ohio State. You know, they've got to be good. It's Michigan. They've got to be good, even though they haven't been good in the last five, ten years." Well, then let's go ahead and put. Uh, if we're going to do that, you know, the only school, the only conference out there that has more national titles in football than the Big Ten is the Ivy League. So whoever wins the Ivy League should be in the BCS. <laughs> well, I think that's a little too far back there. I don't know. I um, mean, I mean that's. But, so, for the you know casual fan perception wise, you know, I just don't but. see Ohio State um, ever being able to compete at the top level of the SEC schools because of who they got to recruit against. Again, this is Mark Stoops is going up there and, and selling a crappy Kentucky team with crappy facilities and pulling kids, four star kids out of Ohio that are choosing Kentucky over Ohio State. Yeah, it's that's a pretty impressive recruiting job by Stoops. I just think it speaks louder to how, how you know what the kids' perception is of these schools right now. Yeah, and I think it, I think it speaks more to the SEC and how the SEC has you know differentiated itself from everyone else, and that you know they're just clearly the best conference over the last five ten years, and you know everyone wants to play for them. Any top <laughs> prospect wants to go to an SEC school. Well, then you get a team like so Michigan State ends up winning that game, which was a classic game, great game. Yeah. Um, I'm cheering for Michigan State louder than I ever have cheered for another team that's not called Kentucky or Notre Dame. And 
they come through, and this is a team, Michigan State team that I saw play against Notre Dame because I am a big Notre Dame fan, who could have had one of the the worst offenses in college football. It, it they have an incredible defense. Yeah, their offense is really a step above Kentucky. The quarterback they had who played a really good game against Ohio State is basically, in my opinion, a an inch step up, or maybe. He's what Max Smith would have been if he was if Max Smith was healthy, okay. Yeah, no, their offense is terrible, but that just speaks to Ohio State's defense. It's gone way downhill in the last few years. It's why is Michigan bad. State though fourth in the country now because they won that Ohio State game? Perception. They, I, beat, they beat the top two team and they're number ten. You got to move them up. That's what. That's I, the way if the I'm Baylor, work. if I'm Baylor, I'm extremely pissed that Michigan State jumps me. I mean, because I think there's no question that Baylor's played a much tougher schedule. Uh, we got, you know, Michigan State at four, Ohio State at seven. If I'm a Louisville fan and Ohio State's ranked that much higher than me, I'm upset because Ohio State re- literally did not play an opponent until Michigan State that was better than, you know, the people that Louisville played. I I, I just – I don't see it. I mean, I just uh, – they really <laughs> – uh, seem like they're just so overrated to me. It's not even funny. Yeah, that's one of the biggest problems in college football is just you know the the ranking system and it. There's so few games that it's hard to really get a good sense of who's good and who's not. And you know in college basketball you you have 30 plus games in the regular season, so you can really get a good sample size. So if this was next year though, we would have this 14 playoff, and, and it wouldn't be that much better because then you have an Alabama Auburn rematch in one of those semifinals. Which how fair that is that to Auburn? Yeah, I mean, what would would uh oh yeah that uh, would be I mean two versus three Alabama's Auburn that's what, I mean if that's what the selection committee would have done Auburn would have had to play another opponent and then had to go back and play and Alabama's basically playing Auburn back to back like that you know to me that's a huge advantage for Alabama and then you get a terrible Michigan State team not terrible I, that's that's a little harsh yeah. a, an overrated Michigan State team. Yeah, they're definitely overrated at number four. Who is 12-1 because they lost to a pretty bad, the coming from a Notre Dame fan, a pretty inept Notre Dame team. Yeah. Neither one of those teams is like whoever you know got lucky and scored was going to win that game, <laughs> which does speak about how yeah. bad Ohio State's defense is. Against Florida State, I, I mean, again, I'd rather see Stanford there, even though they got two losses. I'd rather see um, Baylor get that nod. Um, I'd rather see South Carolina get that nod. I'd rather see Missouri get that nod. And I just, I know, I don't know. I, I don't know if you could ever take a two-loss team like that over a one-loss Michigan State team. But to me, it had, there's no reason for them to to jump from like 11 to 4 because they beat Ohio State. Yeah. Well, once the BC, you know, next year in the playoff, I don't know what the selection process will be. They haven't released that yet, but hopefully the – the people can sort through that. Um, there's going to be like I think it's like ten to twelve people, you know, deciding the the four teams. Condoleezza Rice will be choosing who plays in the national title. Great, great, just what we need. Well, I mean, she's on the committee supposedly, right? So I don't know. Um, so hopefully they are able to sort through it a little better than you know the polls, which are so dominated by the preseason rankings. It's they, they shouldn't even come out with preseason polls uh, because they they factor into the end result. Way, Way too, too much. much. Yeah, I and, agree. And it's just it's extremely biased. 
Well, so um, it would it would be nice. Hopefully that the selection committee can do something like what the basketball selection committee has done because I think the basketball selection committee for the March Madness has done a really good job, and it might even be a harder decision when you get to like those sixty fourth, sixty fifth, sixty seventh, you know, the seventieth teams to even differentiate them. But, you know, the top four. You would think you could make a good argument for the top four. Um, the the one last thing I want to talk about before we get off the college football subject and we're going to finish up our first hour. How come in all this coaching carousel that could be going on? How come no one has taken a look at Vanderbilt's head coach? That guy has done Vandy eight and four, four and four in the SEC, which is to me the equivalent of another school basically going eleven and one. Because if you can, if Vanderbilt goes four and four in the SEC, that's an incredible year. Yeah, it is. And he is. I think that's like their third or fourth straight bowl game um, that he's that he's led them to. I I just can't imagine what if this guy can get this thing done at Vanderbilt. <laughs> yeah. Why you would not want to just like put him in that coach's carousel? Like if I'm Florida, that's that's be one of the first call. Yeah, I mean exactly, and then, and maybe that's why Florida's deciding to go another year with Muschamp. They just don't feel comfortable with who they could get to replace him. I, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of surprising. That's know. a head scratcher to me, totally, that he's coming back. Because I know this year they had a ton of injuries, you know, to key players, but they were they just fell apart, gave up on them. You don't you don't see that very often, especially from a big program like Florida. And then of course the, the you know Florida uh, going undefeated or having their worst season since 1979, and uh, you know Muschamp looks like he's coming back. You know, yeah. So. Pretty incredible, but uh, who knows? All right, so we're uh, we're gonna, we're finishing up the uh, football talk here. T- who's going to win the Heisman tonight? Are you going to go with Jameis Winston? Yeah, Jameis Winston. All right, and then stepping uh, out on a limb there. Yeah, who's going to win the Miami Louisville Bowl matchup? Louisville. Louisville wins, and then who is your is is Miami going to be healthier when they play? I I don't know. I know they had some bad injury problems too. I wonder if how that affects. Yeah, them. I think they had. I think the running back was injured, if I recall correctly. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to be back or not. I haven't looked into it enough yet. Still have two weeks. Florida State or Auburn for the national title? Who do you got in that one? I'm going to go on a limb and say Auburn. Really? Yeah. Continue the SEC dominance. I actually kind of feel that way too. Although yeah. it looks like Florida State should have no trouble. Because. I'm trying to think of Florida State's schedule. I know they played Clemson and they beat them pretty badly, but the, other than that, I don't. The computer rankings actually had Florida State, and I don't understand. Again, this is and this is to me speaks to the Big Ten bias. The computers had Florida State's schedule ranked lower than Ohio State's. Well, they you know they and played, even though they played Clemson, who was Clemson's really good. Miami was top ten when they played too. When they played, yeah, but the, I think the computer schedules don't take that into account when they played. It's right. more who they actually are, right? Which is a more fair way of you know str- of the schedule strength, um, not taking in the initial bias of the polls. No, and I think because uh, I think Clemson's really good. Yeah, I, I think Clemson's good too. I think they might be a little overrated. Um, there's just so much hype around uh, Clowney, but they're they're definitely. You know, a really solid team. But other than that, I don't think Florida State's really been tested too much. Nope. Um, Florida's blown terrible. Out by, nope. Miami's had a down year. So, and they've they've had the lead for like the last 520 minutes or something like that. So, all right, we're finished up with the first hour. We'll be right back. We're going to talk a little college basketball on the other side of the hour. This is Mike Adolfo with the Weekend Sports Bus.
You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, Christmas time in Hollis, Queens. We're back here on the Weekend Sports Buzz. I'm just showing people how white I really am with all these rap songs, but that's okay. It doesn't matter. I, I love it. I love all this stuff. So, uh... I'm here again with Blake Levine. We're talking some. Uh, we're going to start talking a little college basketball. We got some big college basketball matchups today, like we already talked about. We got Kentucky going against North Carolina, Louisville, Western Kentucky, uh, Indiana, Notre Dame up in Indianapolis, and then again, like I said tonight, if you are in the Highlands, and you're looking for a good basketball game, head out to Bellman and see those Bellman Knights play tonight. If you get a chance, 7:30 at Knights Hall. <clears throat> so, uh, so Blake, you're going immediately after the show. You're going to go to the Yum Center. You're going to wear your red and white and black, cheering for the cards against your best friend. And yes. it might be not your best friend. It might be a little stretch. That's, Polio that's really, a stretch. Yeah. Polio really has more best enemies, I guess is the best way to put it. So uh, are you excited about this ball game? You know, Louisville looks like they're going to be pretty dominant here. Yeah, it looks like Louisville should win. You know, the line's 22. Um, it, it looks like the press could be pretty effective against a uh, Western Kentucky team that doesn't have as strong of guards as they did last year. They didn't have strong guards. They did have Jamal Crook last year, who they lost. That's their starting. That was their starting point guard last year, and they kind of had a uh, you know piece together that point guard spot. But yeah. tonight they get Western's going to get two new players. So that could to me could make a big difference because they're two guys that can really play, and they're both guys who can handle the ball. So Chris Harrison Docks comes in today for Western Kentucky. Um, after transferring in, and you know he, this is a kid who was uh, a really highly recruited um, player out of Michigan, uh, the son of former Kentucky player Chris Harrison, and uh, to me he could come in and you know he's not gonna he's gonna have trouble I guess playing at the pace of Louisville right off the bat. <laughs> I think ideally Western would like to have at least one, if not two, games of him on the floor before they had to play Louisville, but uh, you know played a Butler. He was a decent mm-hmm. player, Butler, and he's coming in now and going to be playing at, at Louisville as a redshirt uh, freshman. And then um, the other guy that's coming in is Trincy Jackson. And Trincy Jackson was a, a great player at Texas Tech and uh, another guard that can come in and going to be able to uh, contribute right away. So the turnover issue is going to be interesting to me because now they're adding some more depth at that spot. Yeah, they. Um, I don't know anything about these two new players but you know if they can handle the ball a little better than what they've been doing, you know that's a huge plus for them. Um, this obviously Louisville's press is one of their staples and can change games, as uh, Coach K would say. They they can boom you with that uh, defense, create a lot of turnovers with a lot of the boom effect. The boom effect. Um, so you know that's a huge part of Louisville's game. But this year it seems like they were able to score in the half court a little better, but without Chris Jones, you know, it, it could be a little difficult, um, without his, you know, point guard skills, uh, Rozier hopefully can pick up the slack on that regard. But I still think the defense will wear on Western Kentucky. Um, but we'll have to see. The key for me for Western Kentucky is if they can get George Fant and TJ Price to kind of be effective, uh, and T.J. Price especially, and people who aren't familiar with Western Kentucky basketball, uh, two of their, uh, George Fant and T.J. Price are juniors. And uh, last year, T.J. Price was the Sun Belt Conference Tournament MVP, and the year before, George Fant was. 
And uh, now, like, like I said, they're both juniors, and they're both very good um, players. George is a, a, a post player, uh, very similar to like a Shane Bahannon. And TJ Price, same height and everything for George Fant. TJ Price is a very, uh, very good wing player uh, with some range, but he's a really big, strong kid. And uh, to see how Louisville handles a bigger wing player with their, you know, because their their front court, their backcourt's really good, but they're small. Yeah, having uh, that that matchup is going to be a good um, preview, I guess, of what's what could happen in the Kentucky game. Yeah, definitely. You know, they have a lot of size. George Fan and TJ Price are definitely very strong players, and it could give us some Louisville some issues um, matching up defensively. You know, Louisville's inside defense has been a little suspect uh, this year without Jang, you know, man in the middle. So, so and last weekend actually, I saw a great interview for Russ Smith about that, and just how you know Russ is able to go out there and be a better defensive player and take more risks, get more steals, because he could count on Gorgie backing him up and being there. And this year they don't have that, and I I really feel like you're seeing how important Gorgie was to that team last year. Yeah, uh, Gorgie was a huge component to the last year's team, his defense, and also that mid range jumper that he developed, but that. The defense did allow him to gamble a little more because when the, you know Russ Smith would gamble and you know he gambled all the time last year, you know the guy gets by him, then he has to go up against Gorgie Jang. You know he's going to try to pull up for a mid range. You know he's not going to get to the basket like this year. And even if it doesn't block the shot, he alters it. You know, oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, he might. You know, last year there was a lot of times that Russ Smith would gamble. The guy would you know start driving to the lane, see Gorgie, and just dribble it out. You know, he's like, oh, let's set up an offense. <laughs> I don't want to take him on one on one. Yeah, I mean because so. at the same time. You know, if the guy gets past Russ Smith and he's got to go to the lane and Gorgie's there, the guy's probably going to pull up and take a short jumper or whatever else. You get past that first line of defense for Louisville, no one's scaring you going to the basket. Yeah, it would, it would be nice to see Harrell use that athleticism and really challenge some shots. Which he's never really done. I mean, he wasn't yeah. a good defensive player last year either. It's not like it's not like it's a, a shock here. Neither was Shane. I, well, mean, well, I think Montrose Harrell's defense is good. It's just a different type of defense than Gorgie Jang. Harrell's better in the full court. You know, he, they put him at the top of the press, and he can trap guards and stay with guards, and you know, give him a lot of trouble there. He's not as much of a threat in the middle of the of the defense, though. So, um, but you get in the half court, though, you got to play half court defense. That, that's why Louisville tries to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then of course the big thing today for for Louisville fans, Terry Rozier is going to be starting over Chris Jones. Chris Jones was leading Louisville in minutes per game. He's playing more minutes per game than Russ Smith. Just barely, but still more by like point two minutes. Yeah, but still more. Uh, Terry Rogier, on the other hand, was playing less than sixteen minutes a game. So, you know, obviously Terry's not going to take up all twenty five minutes that Chris Jones is <laughs> putting the floor. But Terry Rogier's probably going to have to be called on to play twenty two, twenty three minutes today. Uh, you know, do you like that? I, I do. I, I like giving him the experience. You know, he hasn't played college ball work. Chris Jones has played, you know, some JUCO for two years, so he's got a little more experience. So it'd be good, you know. Last year, I think the Cardinals benefited from the Zhang injury. You know, they had to grow and, you know, become a much better team through those injuries that they did suffer. Um, so early on in the year, you know, minor injuries like this, I think, can really help develop some of the secondary players, and you know, have them ready to step up in crunch time if, if needed. I think we're gonna see a, a Terry Rozier coming out party today. <clears throat> Yeah, I think Terry Rozier could be just as good as Chris Jones or close to it. Um, Chris Jones is 
Chris Jones has been phenomenal this year so far. Um, Listen up to his, what it's advertised, right? I mean, the guy was advertised as being just as as just coming in and making a huge impact right off the bat. And I, I agree with you. I think Chris Jones has lived up to that. We're seeing a Terry Jones, though, or uh, a Terry Rogier, who uh, his highest point total so far this season is 11, which was his last game against uh, Lafayette. Is that the last game you all played? Yeah. Right? Lafayette. And uh, so I'm thinking that we, we could see Terry finish tonight with like 17, 18 points because that's when he's best. He's be- he'll get every people, everybody involved when he's scoring because he's, I mean, that's what he is. He's a great scoring point guard. Yeah, and, you know, <clears throat> and against Lafayette, he started shooting the ball really well, and he scored those 11 points, I think, in the first five to ten minutes of the game, and then he, he didn't really kinda factor off. in too much. Well, he, he, I think Lafayette kind of factored in on him a little bit, keyed in on him. And he just passed the ball well and you know drew the defense and you know really played a point guard role at that point. But he started off pretty strong, hit three or four threes to start the game. And really uh he's a he's a good shooter, which you know Chris Jones is, is as well. So it'll be nice to see if he can uh take over that and you know hit the open shots that he'll get, you know, with the defense looking at uh Harrell and Russ Smith. And I don't think I'd ever call Terry Rogier a great shooter. I would definitely call Terry Rogier a great scorer. And he just finds a way to put the ball in the basket, and uh, I, you know, I, I think when it's all said and done, first off, I'm very excited about seeing a backcourt of Quentin Snyder and Terry Rozier together, and when it's all said and done, Terry Rozier is going to go down as one of the better guards in Louisville history, and he's going to be a four-year guy, you know, I, in my opinion. I know a lot of people think project him to go early. Uh, I, to me, I think he's probably going to be a four-year guy because it just. It's it suits him to to do that, and um, he is <clears throat> really gonna you know have hopefully have his coming out party today. So uh, best of luck to them. If you're a U of L fan, what do you want as your uh, as your Christmas present? What do I want as my Christmas present? Yeah, even though you're Jewish, I, I am Jewish. I, I'll, I'll take a <laughs> win over UK always. It's a nice Christmas belated Christmas present. Um, well, I I think it would also be nice to see uh, Luke and Kevin start playing a little better. You know, Luke's been hampered by the Achilles injury. It doesn't look like he has the explosive explosiveness that he had last year towards the end of the season. And uh, it'll be nice to see Kevin Ware get out of the uh, doghouse a little bit, gain a little confidence on that leg, and you know, because he can definitely be a factor this year if he does that. I think if I was a loyal fan, I would want to wish for Christmas that Mango has the same kind of growth that Gorgie had. Um, Gorgie's growth kind of came in his sophomore year. Mango's a freshman, a retro freshman. So, yeah, so the second year there. Second year there. So, ha, if they can get kind of that kind of growth that Gorgie showed at the end of his sophomore season, if Mango can have that, they're going to be very, very dangerous. Yeah, that that would be nice. So, I mean, that's uh, to me a huge, a huge part of what Louisville's going to have to get done, and they're going to have to share with that front court to really be a contender. Uh, so, all right. So you're going to think, let's see, it's a 22 points spread. Is that what we said? Yeah. So do you think Louisville covers? I do. I do. I think that in the end they wear them down and, you know, pour it on towards the end. I am going to go with a Louisville win. But less than 22. But less than 22. I don't think they cover. I'm going to give uh, Western Kentucky a uh, – uh, I think they'll come in with like a little short late game run. The game will probably always be like in the 15-point range. Yeah. And, you know, the, the final score will be, you know, between 14 and 17 points. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going with. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. 
Uh, we were turned on to this uh, website by a coach over the weekend, and uh, we were looking, and it actually has the RPI rankings. And uh, this is kind of the the segue, I guess, to the Kentucky-North Carolina talk that we can have okay. here in a little bit. And they have the RPI rankings on here. Right now, the RPI is not very um, attractive for Kentucky or Louisville. Louisville, well, let's actually, let's go. Kentucky's RPI right now is 54th in the country. That's what their RPI is. By the way, UMass, number one in the country per the RPI, and Baylor is number two. Louisville is tied in the RPI 93rd, and they're tied with South Carolina Upstate at 93rd in the RPI. Never even heard of them. <laughs> um, and they have four losses. That's yeah, they have four losses because they play a pretty tough schedule, I have a feeling, though. So, so. But what do you make of the low RPI uh, ranking so far? It's just early season. You know, it's why they don't release the BCS to like week seven or whatever in football. Um, the computers, it takes a little bit for them to adjust to uh, understanding what teams, you know, strength of schedule really is and what they're able to do. Because this is kind of, I mean, this is kind of what you do. I mean, looking at these kind of numbers, this is what you do on a daily day, day-to-day basis, right? Yeah, to an extent. Right. Um, looking at numbers with sports. And s- uh, not as much ranking, but yeah. So, so the sample size, I mean, you really can't blow this RPI number out too much because the sample size just isn't there. I mean, when do you yeah. think we're going to start seeing credible RPI rankings? And really, to be fair, because they're not even really being reported anywhere. So, I mean, I think most people feel that way. Yeah, I think that there's been a general trend away from the RPI. I know it's used as, you know, as a large part of the selection committee, which is a little scary looking at some <laughs> of these numbers. But, you know... Once you get into conference play, one of the issues with it is there's such a disparity in schedule strength that it's really hard for the computers to uh, make sense of it. But once you get into conference play and the strength of schedule kind of increases for some of these teams, because I assume that Louisville's getting knocked pretty hard by their terrible strength of schedule. I think it says here that they're 263rd. Yes, yeah, 263rd. Of, uh, you know, 330 teams or something. So that's pretty low. And I, and I know the RPI takes that into account. So I would say it's probably just that and so once they get into conference play like mid-January you'll start to see some some numbers that make sense not you about third or 93rd so and real quick we got about two minutes before we gotta go to break but because of that Kentucky games two weeks away does that strength of schedule worry you a little bit that Louisville's only had that North Carolina test and that's really about it yeah it does um you know Louisville in years past have had the same issue and that's one of the reasons why I think they haven't fared as well against Kentucky in the last 10 years is just that Kentucky's always, you know, played North Carolina already in the season. They you know, usually had another test or two at the opening of the season where UofL hasn't had as many tests. I mean, that can definitely affect you. You know, first big-time game, the UofL-UK game is usually a pretty sloppy game. You know, everyone gets a little too hyped up on the court. And so and Louisville tries to junk so. it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course you would say that. Um <laughs> Both teams would say try to junk it up. It, uh, it's not always the prettiest game, but it's definitely one of the games with the most intensity, most heart out on the court. It is going to be very entertaining again um, this year as well. And, and I, the one thing I like about college basketball, though, is that these teams can go out and play each other in early season and not get penalized for it. You know, like right now, as a Kentucky fan, all I care about is they get a top four seed. 
because yeah. they're going to be so different at the end of the year than they are now that if they can get a top four seed, you know, you you the tournament anything can happen in the tournament at that point. That's the beauty of college basketball. You know, you Maybe just you, can't play yourself out of that top four seed. You know, the people say that the beauty of college football is that you know every game matters, but it also results in a lot of games that you don't really want to watch because no one wants to play anybody. You know, especially the teams in the SEC or the Big Ten or you know, these big conferences that are going to be trying to play a lot of tough games. You know, you don't want to be playing two or three in your regular season as well. That's why U of L is like you know dropping Cincinnati. You know, once they're going to the ACC, which is sad to see that rivalry go. But you know, they they want another home game. You know, against a lower tier opponent that you know should be a win, and you know try to make sure that they're bowl eligible every year. That's right. It's because it's about money. It's about money. Um, because that's the other big part about that too. It's like in football, and we're up against a break. But I, you know, I'll finish with this point. You can't rem- forget that. You need home games to make money, yeah. And so playing a home and away with somebody takes that away. Takes that away. You got to have those guaranteed home games every year, and that's that's what football, where football's kind of become. Yeah. All right, we're going to head to a break. We'll be right back on the weekend sports bus. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we are back here on 1450 WXBW. It is the Weekend Sports Buzz. Make sure you turn into 1450 The Sports Buzz or 1450thesportsbuzz.com for main source bank coverage of Southern Indiana high school basketball. The, the Hauser Hardware pregame show starts 25 minutes before tip-off. Of each game, 1450 WXW is is Kentuckyana's leader in high school sports. This week's games, today, Saturday, December 14th at 7.30, is Madison at Jeffersonville. Should be a good game there. You know who uh, our little intro song there was? No, I did not. That was the original, the real outcast when they came out. Before Andre 3000 got all weird and started dating, uh, who did he date? Who, who was that? I don't know. Oh, no. Oh. I'm totally blanking because he dated another singer, uh, uh, Erica Badu. You know who Erica Badu is? No, I do not. Man, you got to get up with your African-American culture type stuff here. I mean, come Sorry, on. I thought we were talking about sports on the, the radio here. Yeah, well, you know, it all plays in together. It all plays in together. All right, so we got a uh, pretty big, uh, you know, we talked about the JV game here with uh, Louisville and Western Kentucky. The varsity plays at five. And uh, Kentucky, North Carolina, number 11 versus number 18, Kentucky's going on the road to play in a hostile environment. It's not like they're going to play Baylor and Dallas in a big dome or Providence and 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 uh, the Barclays Center. They're actually getting a true road test. Um, but at least they the travel part of that shouldn't be that bad. They're used to that. It's going to be how they handle the North Carolina crowd. Uh, that should be pretty interesting. Interesting to me. Um, it, to me, it comes down to one simple thing for Kentucky today. And I think this is really where um, it's the truth in Louis, you know in that Louisville game too with them. How do you slow down a guy like Marcus Page and not let them just run crazy on you? Because if you let them get a whole bunch of transition points, I mean that's basically what happened to Louisville, right? I yeah. mean, uh, North Carolina just went crazy in the fast break. Yeah, Louisville did not get back, and uh, they they crashed the offensive boards a little too much, and North Carolina was just in transition all night. That day or all day, it was during the day. 
And then again, Carolina's got some great players, but they're, you know, Marcus Page is definitely where it, to me it begins and ends. Uh, McAdoo is a great player. Kennedy Meeks uh, is developing into a really good post player, even though he's not starting. But guys like Nate Britt uh, and JP Ticato, and I mean, I don't think Kentucky's going to be uh, intimidated by those guys. They've played against those guys all the time. They're they're good players. They're not great players. I just uh, I think Kentucky's got more talent. I just need to see them play as together as a unit to win this because the Harrison Twins are going to be a huge night. I mean, if Marcus Page is able to do whatever he wants to do on the floor, it's going to be a really long night for Kentucky. Yeah, the the, the defensive side, you know, uh, I don't know if UK will press or not. They probably won't. But just getting back on in transition will be really important. Uh, and it will be also important for them to slow down the game a little bit and go inside, use their strength of Julius Randle as much as possible. Yes, because they definitely have the uh, – and but, you know – the things we were just talking about with the Twins where they kind of pout a little bit and they don't play at the pace they need to play. I'm starting to see Randall pout a lot. And yeah. it's starting to bother me a little bit as a Kentucky fan. And I just I, I want him to just go do basically what he did in Michigan State. I mean, he did pout a little bit in Michigan State because of all the foul calls, but he adjusted and he went to work and he played great. Teams are starting to focus on him now. He's getting doubled. And then when he puts the ball on the on the on the floor, he's getting triple teamed because once he puts the ball on the floor, they know he's not going to pass. Yeah, and that's um, to me, he's got to change. I, I haven't seen Kentucky's last couple games, but I think uh, Julius Randle's where it should the ball should go pretty much every single time. He doesn't have to shoot it every time, but if he touches it, it really puts a lot of pressure on the defense. Like you're saying, they double him pretty much every time once he touches it. That that can open up a lot for the other players. That comes back to the twins and whether they get them the ball or not. You know, Julius Randle's not going to be bringing the ball up. So, well, he get his touches. I mean, this guy Randle's going to get his touches. Well, I'm not saying just get his touches. I, I think the the offense pretty much needs to run through him. You know, because because he's so dominant, and that you know he demands double teams pretty much every time he does touch it. That if you give them the ball early in the offensive set, then the defense is scrambling the rest of the time. Is the recovering from yeah? The to me, it's got to be more about him <laughs> being able to once he puts the ball on the floor. He needs to see where that triple team's coming from, and he needs to get find that open shooter. And if a guy like James Young starts getting hot, knocking down shots, and Aaron Harrison starts knocking down shots, you know that's where that inside out three is the most effective shot, three point shot in basketball. To me, that's yeah. my favorite one, and they uh, could really start to come out. But then it really starts on the defensive end. I mean, we we talked about how bad of a of defensive players the Twins are. Kentucky is a, has the luxury where Louisville doesn't of having a guy like a Willie Cauley Stein at least that can throw away some shots if uh, they get beat and kind of lock down that middle. But Willie Cauley Stein's still kind of soft at the same time. So, you know, Kentucky's definitely not perfect right now. I, I feel like they need to have that one test that they answer. I'm kind of hoping that's what happens today. I want to see Kentucky have to really fight today and have it pay off. And that's what I want to see. I want to see it be nip and tuck. I'd like to even see them be down and have to come back, but they need to have that happen and come have it pay off and then, and then pull out the win um, to show that they learned from what happened at ba- with Baylor and they've really learned. I thought they did learn from North from uh, Michigan State, but it doesn't seem like the progression from Michigan State to now is what I thought it would be. Yeah, it, it just looking at their box scores and you know everything they. UK doesn't look like they've progressed as much as I'm sure 
all UK fans have hoped and Cal has hoped. Now but the, but they have a lot of they have a lot of time still to improve. Um, James Young is a very good shooter, and they need to look for that. That should be uh, Julius Randle's first look when he's double teamed. He should be looking for Julius or uh, James Young. Um, that inside out three, as you mentioned, is definitely the best uh, percentage three in the game. Um, it's the easiest for the shooters to square up with. Um, but yeah, North Carolina. I think a lot of it comes down to North Carolina, which team shows up. Is it the team that you know beat Louisville, beat Michigan State, or is it the team that lost to UAB? Um, I think, I think they have a lot of growing pains as well. Not having uh, PJ Harrison in the lineup, you know, they were all the players on the team were used to playing with him, and so it's it's hard to it's almost harder to play without someone than it is to play with new people. Um, so. I think they've had to grow into different roles, and I think that it seems like they've been doing that, um, but you just never know who's going to show up with them. Yeah, P.J. Harrison is definitely a big loss for, for them. Um, I I can't put my finger on why North Carolina is so helter-skelter and why it seems to be two totally different teams. And, I mean, how can you do what you did against Michigan State and then turn around – and lose to UAB. It could come down to a, being a young team and just really focused. Like they, they go into Louisville and Michigan State games, <clears throat> and they're they're ready to play. They're they're keyed in, and they really want it. When they you know they go to UAB and they're like ah, eh. you know it's a classic track trap game of being just playing to the level of your teams. competition. Yeah, just playing to the level of the competition, thinking that they're good enough to pull a game out. Just, it could be the same thing with Belmont as they play. You know, Belmont's a good team. Belmont is a good team, by the way. But, they really yeah, are. No, they're a good team, but they're not as good as North Carolina. North Carolina should win that. And the fact that they missed all those free throws, free throws, you know, it's a rare event to you know shoot under fifty percent as a team. They, they shot like twenty four of fifty one, or I forget what it was. Well, since nineteen eighty, Carolina uh, holds the head to head matchup on Kentucky ten to seven, which I know that you like that because you're going to be cheering for Carolina Blue today. Yeah, and, uh, I, I don't know. I a little split. I you know, like Kentucky to win, and then U of L to beat Kentucky too. So yeah, Kentucky, even though being ranked higher than North Carolina, is going to open up today. It looks like a three and a half point underdog. Does that surprise you? No, it does not. Um, I think I think that's probably fair with the home away situation. That's I think it's pretty close to a pick'em game, and then putting it at at North Carolina gives them the edge. I, would, uh, I, I don't disagree with that, you know, and I think until Kentucky can win a game like this away from Rupp um, with the young players that they have, I think that's a, it's a pretty fair assessment. And again, I just hope that you know Kentucky is able to pull this one out. I'm able to send a text message to Princeton, New Jersey, and kind <laughs> of uh, you know rub uh, rub a little hazing into uh, and salt into a wound, and uh, the Kentucky Wildcats knock off. The uh, North Carolina Tall Heels today. It's kind of funny that the ma- the way the matchups work out. If people, for people that don't know, Blake and I coach basketball together, and uh, the one of the other guys we coached is now coaching at Western Kentucky. And Blake's a huge loyal fan. When you know our buddies at Western Kentucky, the guy who was the head coach is a huge North Carolina guy and played baseball in North Carolina. And uh, Kentucky's going up against North Carolina today. So, and he is now in Princeton, New Jersey. His name's Tim. So. But uh, it should be a very interesting kind of. That's enough about that. But that should be a pretty interesting ball game today. In the Dean Dome, uh, it's going to come down again. Harrison Twins have got to show up today. They've got to lock down Marcus Page. Uh, they've got to show some heart on defense, some toughness, and some competitiveness. I mean, these guys, 
to me, it's really there, there's a chemistry issue on this Kentucky team, and they just don't they they because they just can't figure out how to really kind of play together and maximize everybody's talents because they got the to me the way they all pair up, they all should be able to complement each other. And then beyond the uh, beyond the chemistry agers, there, so there seems to be some coaching. No, I just think you know. Well, when you're always starting over, always trying to blend that chemistry is yeah. tough. But shouldn't you be good at it by now? <laughs> I, well, he's done some pretty good things with it. I know. Yeah, and you he's, know, I there there was a, there was some talk about after the Baylor loss. Did Kentucky fans get spoiled because they had two? Just highly unusual freshman classes with the Wall, Cousins, Bledsoe class, and then the Anthony Davis, Michael K. Gilchrist class. That really just, those were two classes that, and they happened so close to each other, but it's very just unusual to have freshmen like that. I mean, these are very good freshman basketball players. Yeah. But they're they, some of the best in the country. Right. In terms of freshman basketball players. But they, the maturity issues that need to come up just <clears> didn't seem to happen. Well, I think that's exemplified with the Anthony Davis, uh, Kid Gilchrist. Those were the two best players on the team, and they probably took the third and fourth most shots. You know, they, they were very happy. So to you play do defense. listen to Cal's press conferences? No, I don't. Cal talks about that all the time. Oh, he does. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I've never listened to a Cal press conference. Uh huh. Sure. Um, okay. He's closet Cal lover. I'm just telling you all right now. <laughs> um, but I. Uh, you know, the, the, those two guys were extremely unselfish. They they enjoyed playing defense, which I don't see that with this UK team. Um, you you do need defense to win uh, in the college level, and you know Anthony Davis and Kilgrid, Kid Gilchrist were just happy to play defense and get the other guys the ball. And Kid Gilchrist is a guy, especially like you look at him and listen. Everybody knew he was a good player and and all that, but you kind of. Even though how great he was as a college player, you kind of underappreciate him until you see him not there anymore, and all the little things he did, and uh, and how competitive he was, and how much he did enjoy playing defense. Because I, th- I think to be a good college basketball player, you got to love to play defense. Yeah, I mean, do. I think th- this is not AAU basketball anymore. You got to get up and have to really want to play def- on the defensive end. Yeah, and on the on the same note, like uh, a lot of UL fans are talking about how Chris Jones is better than Siva, and I think offensively, you know, he's Definitely a lot better, but Siva's defense was better, especially in the team aspect, and also just the intangibles of he, he knew how to get people in the right place, which Chris Jones could get there, but right now he's not there. Um, right. And so I it takes time, right? It, it does take a lot of time to build a build those intangibles and be that type of player, and so it'll be nice to see if you know some fans can start to appreciate that. All right. So at the beginning of the year, both these teams were you know top three, and. Strong contenders for the national title. Yeah, and they should be. They they have. The Are you talent. still feeling like they're still there? I that do. I, th- I think both of these teams for the top contenders had more question marks in terms of missing key players, bringing in new ones. Obviously, Kentucky more so. Um, you know, Kentucky will continually get better. You know, they're still learning how to play with each other. The chemistry, as you mentioned, is a big component. But you know, it depends. You know. Like you saw last year with Kentucky, is they they got better and then they had had that injury, which was you know very unfortunate, mm-hmm. and then they kind of imploded from there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they you know how they grow if they can get over the hump and become more like the 2012 team, or they're going to continue to be like the 2013 team. All right, we are going to get to our final break of the uh, of the show. We'll come back 
And I want to talk about just the college basketball landscape when we come back because we've had a lot of teams already be ranked number one this early in this year and just kind of the volatility of what's going on in college basketball. So we will be back on the weekend sports bus. You're listening to the Weekend Sports Buzz. Tell us your thoughts on the Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line at 384-1450. All right, we are back for the final segment of this uh, edition of the Weekend Sports Buzz. And we're just going to talk uh, real quick about the college landscape as a whole. If you want to jump in this last segment, Oxmoor Fort Lincoln Buzz Line 384-1450. We'd love to have you uh, join in and, and talk about the conversation. Um, but basically what I want to get into is where we are now as opposed to where we were. So beginning of the season, we had, uh, obviously Kentucky was ranked number one. They've already dropped to 11. Michigan State was number two, and they've they've dropped out of, uh, they're not out of the top five, but they're, they've dropped. Louisville was number three, and Louisville had uh, suffered a loss. And uh, Where's Louisville ranked right now? I think they're back in the top five in like the coaches and six uh, in the AP, but I'm not Too sure. high, okay. Um uh, Duke was number four, and the Dukes had a couple losses. And uh, yes, Louisville is ranked number six right now. And, and I think a lot of that comes to is a lot of those teams have played each other, which so is good have, though. That's good, which, which is good. Yeah, but they're going to have losses, and so they're going to drop a little bit. Uh, um, the one thing that was kind of surprising to me was we saw an Oklahoma State team um, lose to Memphis after they crushed them the first time around. Yeah, uh, the first one was. At Oklahoma State, if I and the second one, was like, the other one was the second one was neutral. Right, exactly. Um, so that can play a big factor. We've seen some teams really climb up. Syracuse has climbed up the rankings uh, pretty high. Uh, Florida has dropped like a, a rock, which is and then but then Florida just turns around this week and beats beats Kansas. Mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of parity in this top twenty. Yeah, which which I think is a good great thing for college basketball. Is there's not you know. Some people like to have one dominant team, but I think it's more interesting when there's you know ten or fifteen really good teams, and they all on a given night can beat each other. It's I just don't ever remember a time when Syracuse opens the season number nine in the country, and this soon they're already up to number two. Yeah, that's just it. Seems like it. and then same thing with Ohio State, who started off this year eleventh in the country, already worked himself up to number three. To jump eight spots like that. This early and have all those teams lose, just it seems very rare to me. Yeah, but again, I think that comes back to all the teams above them were playing each other where they haven't played any of the top, you know, five or ten teams. So you're saying Ohio State doesn't play anybody? I don't don't, just just go ahead and say it. I'm not going to say that until I look at their schedule, but yeah, it doesn't look like they played anybody. (laughs) They played North Florida. (laughs) It looks like their best team they played is Marquette. No, they played Maryland. In Maryland. Yeah. Marquette is another team that's just kind of, I think they're five and four now. And not, uh, I, I thought going into that Ohio State Marquette game, I actually was on this radio show talking about how excited I was about that game because I thought Marquette was showing signs that they could actually be pretty good. Well, since then Marquette's been terrible, and <laughs> of course, right? And uh, they're just they're really struggling. Um, they're five and four. They've got losses against San Diego State, Wisconsin, good teams. Uh, Arizona State, which is a team they probably should have that they probably should have beat, but 
uh, it's just it's real interesting to me this this because I really came in here thinking this year there's you give me six teams and the national champions coming out of these six teams and right now I don't know I don't know if I feel that strongly about it I, I've it seems like there's it, there there's so much parity that everybody's going to be vulnerable every night. We've seen some great games already. We've seen some great matchups. Duke's already played Kansas and Arizona, and, and they played Michigan. And, you know, Kentucky, obviously, Michigan State and and, and uh, North Carolina, and they still got to play Louisville. And that, to me, is really what makes it so much better than college football. And I know people out there really love college football and love their football, and I am a basketball homer. But to see these all these great matchups early on is what makes it, makes it awesome. Even that Syracuse Indiana game. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm I'm a big basketball fan. It's by far my favorite sport. Um, college basketball, especially, is my you know favorite thing I like to watch. Um, and I agree. I love seeing these early season matchups, knowing that you know by the time March Madness comes around, they could be completely different teams. Um, especially with all these young freshmen coming in the league the last three or four years or right into the, the into ranks, the, yep, not going to the league, but. Yeah, you know, I love seeing these early matchups, and it kind of gives you an idea of what's going to happen in the in March Madness. Where in football, you don't really see that very often. There's there's a few marquee matchups early on, but it's usually just conference matchups. Well, and, and for a coach's standpoint, you get to go ahead and play a solid opponent. I mean, just think about how much John Kelly Perry learned from that Michigan State game about his team, oh, or yeah. even just against against the Baylor and the Baylor loss. How much he learned about his team. Um, it's it's got to help you as a coach and figure out what you really got to work on, what you got to go after, and what you got to do to be ready to win that national title and run that gamut and win six games in in, uh, in March and April to become a national champion. Yeah. And in college basketball, it's a little bit of a different goal than it is in college football. Uh, college football, you have to be good every single week. You got to remain undefeated. You have to remain undefeated really to have a chance. But then you get or a team like SEC. Ohio State who remains undefeated. Until they play in the conference, they don't play anybody. They don't, they're they're never tested. And when they go up against a good defense, they fold. Yeah, and they can't handle it. I agree. And in college basketball, it gives allows the coaches to coach a little more and really figure out their team and kind of get them to try to peak right at the towards the end of the season. So it's you're building and you're learning and you're coaching more so in college college football. They do that to an extent because they play all those patsies early on, and that's what they try to do. But for the most part, they're just playing the college slate or the conference slate. And, and you know, hopefully Louisville's uh, – in the past, Louisville's always had a, a little bit of a weaker non-conference schedule in basketball because their their conference schedule is going to be so tough. Yeah. And then this year, it's not as tough as it's been in the past. It's still decent. you got some decent it's, teams on there. It's okay. UConn, it's pretty, Memphis. It's pretty low. You know, you have UConn, Memphis. You have Cincinnati who might be okay. Uh, I, you know, Houston could be an up and coming team. SMU Houston. could be an up and coming team. So yeah, SMU with Larry Brown coaching could be. But yeah, no, definitely this this year's schedule for Louisville is definitely a disappointment, just like their football schedule was. But it's what happens when you play in the ACC for one year and then switch back to the ACC. So what do you want to see so, Louisville's going into the ACC? They're gonna have they're gonna have tough basketball games almost every week, in the ACC. Yeah, I I can't wait for that. I mean, so what should he do with his non-conference schedule? I mean, he can't. I mean, you're gonna, you're never gonna go undefeated in conference play, right? I mean, yeah, you, you, you shouldn't with the, the that many uh, good teams. No, Duke, UNC, Syracuse, Pitt, just to name a few. You have Wake Forest, who's been down now, but they've historically been, the been decent. Yeah, um, you know, Florida State's always a tough team. They play great defense on under Hamilton, and you know, 
so you really there shouldn't be a team that goes undefeated just like there's hasn't been teams in the big east that went undefeated um i think this the acc next year could start to rival the big east as the the best oh i think so together. for sure but then so um, so if you're if you're trying to put a schedule together though you've got you know you're going to you know you can't say as a coach i'm going to lose this many <clears> games because you never say that you would think you're going to win every game yeah but you know, you can count on you're going to have so many losses. And I, I honestly believe that most of these coaches say, hey, I just want to get a top seed. The elite programs, that's what they're shooting for, top seed. A number one seed's great, but they just want to really be in one of those one, two, three slots. Yeah. Um, so what do you do with that non-conference? I think he'll continue to do what he's done with the Big East. Just um, keep it weak? Yeah, he has UK every year, which is nice. Western Kentucky will hopefully be getting better. Um, they've been good in the past. You know, so he has a couple tests on there. You know, he was hoping that North Carolina, like North Carolina, beat us, but you know, hoping that they were going to be a little, you know, full strength and more of a test, I guess. You know, in the perception, the you know, other ranked twentieth, they're hoping to be top ten when they played them. But yeah, he'll probably continue to have a lot of patsies on the schedule, have a few tests early, and then conference play. One thing with Patino, his style, the, the defense is so complex that he likes to have a lot of easy teams to really implement that. Uh, his system, as you, know, you would call it, to you know get the players ready to play. Um, it takes his teams usually a little longer to get get to where they're going. I agree with that. I mean, I th- and then there's some definitely some truth to that as far as Patino's putting in his more complex system. Uh, but you know, I still feel like the benefit of playing those tough teams is important. And you know, Cal is, um, is no uh, is not innocent in this either. He's kind of shot away from playing in the preseason tournaments. You know, which yeah. I think really kind of gets you ready for tournament play. And then he even had the situation against Baylor where the women played before him and the women went into like 29 overtimes. <laughs> and uh, UK's women won that, and that was an unbelievable win. And, uh, and of course, they're top five right now in the country, the UK women. And then Cal comes out and says, well, we're never going to play after the women again. Kind of half-joking, but he was serious. And... To me, that's a great that's a great learning experience because you could be in an instant tournament game, have that second game, and the first game goes into overtime a couple of times, and your players have got to learn how to deal with that. Yeah, and I think that's just it's a good that's a good learning experience. I thought it was it was great that they had to go through that, and I'd like to see them play in more of the preseason or or holiday tournaments to get used to a tournament style of play uh, because I think it's hurt them, especially in the SEC tournament, uh, a couple of times of having to play. You know, two or three days in a row, and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, the, the the preseason turn or the early season tournaments are always you know a good test for a team. Get them ready, uh, get them some experience, especially the younger teams uh, for tournament play, whether it's conference or the March Madness or NIT. So much has been made, I think, about the young players that we have in college basketball today, and this is a highly thought of class. And a lot of people have even said that this next year's NBA draft could rival two thousand four. With the the talent and the and the players in it, and we've seen these guys come in, and whether it's uh, Julius Randle at Kentucky or Wiggins at Kansas or Jabari Parker at at Duke or um, Aaron Gordon at Arizona, and uh, they've had some growing pains. Now Arizona's undefeated. They've got a win over Duke. They've looked good doing it. They've got a really just solid starting five. Um, he's you know Arizona's young, but they're not. Like ridiculously young, they they go with freshmen and sophomores, but they have some uh, juniors and seniors that also contribute. And uh, we're seeing now that 
this the the young guys are are having a little bit more of an adjustment than I guess they they once thought they were. I mean, Wiggins is playing very well. He's but he's playing kind of spotty. Uh, I think you're gonna have that with any young players, no matter how good they are. It, it the college games different than high school. You're going up against better quality opponents generally than you would in high school. You know, there's a lot more commitment in just terms of the lifestyle. You're not living at home. You're living on campus. You have practices you know every day you have weight system there's there's a lot of a lot going on a lot of changes and it's hard to adjust man that game's so, that just speaking real quick too if, if you get bored watching the louisville western Kentucky game arizona takes on michigan today at noon and in ann arbor that's going to be a freaking great game michigan's just totally dropped off uh out, completely out of the top 25 uh ranked in the top 10 but they've already got three losses uh this year with the you know one of them being a to UNC Charlotte, um, but I, I just I see that it's not as easy as it was to, and I think Kentucky fans were spoiled with great classes like with Wall and Kid Gilchrist, but it's not as easy just to plug these guys in to be great all of a sudden. I mean that you can get game plan for them; they frustrate them, and and uh, this is not uh, where they are now does not mean where they're going to be at the end of the year. Uh, yeah, definitely the. The younger the team, the more likely they are to to grow throughout the season and you know gel together. You know, just also just you know get stronger. You know, the whole weight system. You know, not lifting weights a ton during the season, but just that whole you know conditioning. Everything will will get so much better than it would be you know in a high school level uh, environment. So you know, I I just feel like you're gonna see it's gonna be real interesting to me because <clears throat> over the next month we're gonna see which teams are gonna gel. And which teams are going to come together and really, you know, realize their potential as a national contender? And we probably really won't know that until the end of January of who is going to be the teams that are really uh, set to win, you know, in a position to win the national title. And I feel like you kind of see that to an extent every year where there's teams that maybe not title contenders, but, you know, final four contenders who at the beginning of the season they don't look that great and then they gel mid season or even like, middle of the conference slate and then they become a real contender in March Madness. But they all have to go up against that adversity. There has to be yeah. that adverse moment that kind of gets them all to kind of come together. And that's what I thought was always really good about what Rick did, uh, you know, with that middle of January stretch that they would inevitably drop two out of three games oh, yeah. and they everybody would start questioning whether Rick's lost <laughs> it and <laughs> but Yeah, last he, year they lost three in a row and everyone's like, Oh, does this team really suck or something, you know. No one and 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 for him to be able to take that and then just turn it into a, such a positive learning experience that and you see a completely different team come out of that stretch, you know, and uh, I think that's such an important part for a team to go through, yeah, you know, and I think in in Rick's case, he's always had older kids that have gone through that to help bring the younger ones through. Right now, this loyal team to me has got, yes, they've got some experience with a guy like Russ Smith. But you know, immaturity experience with a guy like Shane Bahannon. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Montrez has only gone through it one year. There's a lot of young guys that they're gonna have, that Russ is gonna have to pull through that difficult period this year. Yeah, I think you're overlooking uh, Luke Hancock as well. I think he's probably the the one guy that kind of. Well, he's only been there one year, like technically two, but he also he's he's the true leader of the team. All right, we're out. That's it. Thanks for joining us today in the show, and we will see you next week on the Weekend Sports Buzz.